I want to welcome you to our study on the life of Joseph, and our title is God Meant It for Good. But you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't feel good. But God meant it for good. Now, we are going to get to the life of Joseph, but we have got to back up. We have to understand about Joseph, where he came from, his tenacious, uh, tenaciousness holding on to God when there was nothing else. And so we've got to start kind of back at the beginning. And so I'm sorry, but we this is what we've got to do. The, the book of Genesis is exciting. It's huge. I'm having a difficult time um, wrapping my mind around it in sort of in, in some kind of um, coherent sequence so I can even speak because it's overwhelming to know this God who is and that he does what he says he will do. Not some of the time, not maybe, but all the time. The book that we call Genesis is from our English word, of course, and it comes by the way of Latin, um, i.e. Greek, and but in the Hebrew, the book was named for its first word, which means in the beginning. And so Genesis means origin. And from this origins, we from from Genesis on, especially Genesis, we learn all human history. We learn about God. It's his revealed word to us. We learn about creation, how everything got here. Remember Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God because you got to believe that he is and he rewards those. And so we come with faith, trust, belief that this book is real. It's real. Um, and so it's the origin of all matter, all human history, everything. This is what we find in the book of Genesis. And there's a story in the book of Genesis, and some people call it the red line, that it runs from Genesis 3 all the way through. And this book, as well as all the other books, are pointing to Christ. Christ is the central theme of this book. Christ always has been. He's, he's the second person of the Godhead. So he did not just happen. Christ always has been. Do you know with my own ears, I have heard it said that this book, the Bible in fact, is the central theme is the kingdom of God. Now that is stark error. This book is about our Savior and eventually will be king on earth in a literal kingdom. And you know what? Jesus put his stamp on this book. He said in Luke 24, verse 27, Then beginning with Moses 
and with all the prophets, he explained to them, that is his disciples, the things concerning himself in all, A-L-L, the scriptures, all the scriptures, all these points. And see, it's a wide, we got a wide angle shot here coming in to the patriarch's uh, life and it's getting us and it narrows, ding, 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 it narrows, 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 narrows. And it's taking us to David from the tribe of Judah. And then it goes even more narrow until we finally get to what this book is all about. And it's about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who seeks and saves those who are lost. This book is about our Savior. Now, we're going to be looking at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And eventually we're going to get to Joseph. But we've got to get a picture of what this is all about. You know what? These men, these patriarchs, are alive today. They're absolutely alive today. In Matthew um, chapter 22, Jesus says, uh, let's look at, um, uh, I think it was the Sadducees who had come to him. Yes, it was the Sadducees, and which don't, they don't, they did not believe in resurrection. And the old joke is they don't believe in the resurrection, so that's why they are sad, you see. Well, they're the Sadducees, and so they are asking Jesus about the resurrection. They're trying to trap him. And in verse 31 of chapter 22, Matthew, our Lord says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Verse 32, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You'll find that quote from Exodus 3, verse 6. And so Jesus is putting his stamp on the Bible, on, these, on the written word. Not only that, but he also tells us in Luke 13 that... I'll just read it. Verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And so there's going to be a huge, huge feast someday in the kingdom of God. And there we will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. This is a literal, not figuratively, not abstract. This is going to be a literal kingdom on literal earth in literal Jerusalem with a literal king, the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting on his throne. So we've got to understand what this book is about. It's about real people that we someday shall see. They're not dead. They're not dead. I want to read to you um, what Dr. Unger says. Quote, Scripture is intensely realistic. 
Invariably, it presents a vividly true-to-life portrait of whatever it may be depicting. This is what would naturally be expected in a revelation inspired and given, as it is, in accordance with the highest standards of divine truth and inerrancy. On its pages, there is no room for romanticism or looking through rose-colored glasses in portraying either the character of individuals or things or the state of nations. People and conditions are presented as they are. Good as well as evil is drawn in true color. God's closest friends as well as his enemies his own people Israel as well as the heathen nations surrounding them are photographed in candid camera style and presented with remarkable life-like reality, end quote from Dr. Runger. And so what we're going to see as we study and we're getting toward the life of Joseph, we're going to see the contents of the human heart. And if we'll look, we will see our own. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 15? The Pharisees are saying, hey, you know, your, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat and blah, blah, blah. And the Lord said, leave them alone. Verse uh, 17, Peter asked him, Gee, I don't understand. Can you explain this to me? And um, Jesus says, Are you still lacking in understanding also? I'm in Matthew 15, 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, we're going to see that. We've seen it already. It didn't take long once the fall happened. Uh, we're not going to go there. But I mean, it was like a set of dominoes falling. It was bam, 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 all the way down. Ugly, evil thoughts and actions. And it went on from there. It went from bad to worse. This book that we're going to be looking at speaks of the contents of the human heart and we will see our own if we will but look. Jesus says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So, we've got to look at these things and see whence jo uh, Joseph came from in order to really get a picture of Joseph's, Joseph's life. You know, when I was in full-time counseling, I had several people uh, come and wanted to decipher and sift through the generational sins that had been passed to them. And back in the 90s, it was a big deal about generational sins. It may still be. I'm out of the loop now. 
but there were books written on generational sins and, and how to excise those from one's life and all that baloney. And so when they came and said, I just want to kind of sift through and, and get rid of these generational sins that I have that's been passed to me, I would say, nah, they're yours. They're yours. Now, by observation, we can see what mom, dad, or uncle uh, George did, and we can make those our own. But sin is ours. We are not responsible for what we got as children. We are not responsible for what we got, but we are responsible for what we do with what we got. And we add, because someone else's sin impacted us, and yeah, we can adopt it and we can make it our own, or we can say, uh-uh, no way, I don't want to do like my dad did or my mom or my blah, blah. Don't want to do that. I want to go a different way. Or we can adopt those and say, well, I'm just a victim. My dad was a cheat, so I guess I'm a cheat and blah, blah, blah. No, they're yours. They're yours. It, 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 you, we cannot force on another human being what we ourselves are. God holds us each responsible not responsible when we were children. We had no, we had no choices nor options. We, we got the parents that we got and their sins often impacted us. And if we're not careful, we can perpetuate those. But I will guarantee you, those sins are ours because we have added, uh, we add our own sin to the sin that impacted us, impact us. But it's ours. You can't, you can't fudge. We have to say, what is the condition of a human heart? Where do we learn that from? We learn it from Genesis. From Genesis 3, the fall, I mean, it didn't take long um, before all the ugly showed up. All of them. And it's not gotten better as time has gone by. So, let's begin and again we're not even we're not close to looking at Joseph yet you just have to bear with me it is not fair to our study on Job and it's not the right thing to do if we do not go back and pick up I'm going to tell you from Genesis 12 all the way through this book there are there are three themes that are running through land seed descendants and blessing. That was what God spoke to Abraham, and there's where we're going. It's very important because if you don't understand the covenant that God made with Abraham, we are hung bunnies all the way through the scriptures. Okay? Genesis 12, we spoke of this the last time we met just briefly. God called Abram, and he promised him a land a nation or a great nation. He's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to bless him. He's going to make a, his name great. And he's going to be a blessing. And he's God will bless those who bless him and his descendants, the Jews. We better be blessing the Jews. We better be praying for them. We better not be cursing them. We better not be part of this group of, 
of, quote, church, unquote, people who are boycotting Israel. We better not be. Because guess what? God says, I will curse those who curse you. And that is pretty heavy. Then he goes on and he says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that will be ultimately Christ. That's ultimately Christ. The whole world is blessed from the gift that God gave his own son to us. And so there that begins. That's God's promise. And then we go to chapter 15, and God cuts a contract with Abram. Uh, Abram is promised again. He's told to look outside and count the stars. And, and God says this, hey, if you can count the stars, fine with me. But that's how many descendants you're going to have. And, of course, no one can count the stars. And God and, and Abraham believed in the Lord. That is, he just said, okay, amen, I believe that. And God reckoned it or accounted it to him as righteousness. And so Abraham becomes the believer. And then God goes on and he tells him that his descendants, verse 13, will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved, oppressed for 400 years. God doesn't tell him when. He doesn't tell him where. He doesn't tell him how. He just simply says, this is what's going to happen. 400 years, they're going to be slaves. That's what's going to happen. We, now look, put yourself in Abraham's place, or Abram at this point, his place. Wouldn't you want to know when, where, and how? How is this going to happen? He didn't even have a child yet. And yet, he just said, okay, all right. And God promised him all the land. Verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. And then he gives the boundaries of the land that he, God, is going to give to Abram and other places it says forever. And with God, when God says forever, he means forever. Because he's not a God that lies or changes his mind like a man or, or forgets or he fails. And, Oops, well, I lost that one. No, 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 no. We are talking about the God of the universe who makes promises and he fulfills those promises and nothing can stop that. So the land is a huge, huge, huge deal. And then we, um, in um, verse chapter 17, God again confirms um, the covenant. He tells him... Um, that his, uh, he will be multiplied exceedingly. He's going to make nations and kings from him. He changes his name to Abraham. Verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so the, the sign of the covenant of circumcision happens, and uh, he says... Uh, verse uh, 21, my covenant will be established with Isaac. So God names Isaac before he's even conceived, 
whom Sarah will bow to, bear to you in this season next year. So his covenant is a promise from Abraham to Isaac. And that's important because Isaac was Joseph's granddaddy. And so, lo and behold, you know what the story is. He has a son. He names him Isaac. And Isaac and uh, has two sons. Two sons. He, um, let's see, I guess we better get back over here. I'm just kind of flipping through here. Isaac gets married uh, to Rebecca the woman that's the mistress of all emergencies. Abraham dies in chapter 25, and both um, his sons bury him. And God appears to Isaac after Abraham's death, verse 11 of 25, and he blessed Isaac. What does that mean, he blessed Isaac? Well, it's the Abrahamic blessing, land seed blessing. He blesses him. He watches over him. He protects him. Well, you know the story of Isaac. We're getting closer here. Isaac has two sons, and that is getting to be some problems because the ugly, ugly, ugly practice of favoritism enters. Favoritism of parents. He loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Well, we see in chapter 25, verse 22, that they're twins in Rebecca's womb. I mean, um, yes, Rebecca's womb. And um, she asked the Lord about it. And the Lord tells her, Two nations are in your womb. And two people shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And guess what? Oh my goodness, there are several themes that's going to run through our stories all the way to chapter 42, I think. 45, sorry, 45. Beginning in chapter 27, well actually 25, all the way through 45, there will be certain words, phrases, terms that you're going to see over and over and over again. One of them has to do with clothing. Uh, one of them has to do with animal blood. And of course, the lies and the cheating. And so if these people would but look and listen, it might be a clue to say, wow, huh, this is what I did. Wow, wow, wow. I remember I cheated my dad with clothing and blood. Hmm. Is God trying to tell me something? See, if you look at your own life, sometimes we have revolving doors. We keep going through the same thing all the time. Get out of the revolving door. What are we repeating, constantly repeating, the same thing over and over and over again? Is it clues for us to say, wait a minute, this is getting to be a theme in my life. Hmm, maybe I better sit down and sift through this stuff so I can figure it out. So I can go through another door 
and not a revolving door. But those things will pop up and I'll try and point them out to you uh, the best I can. So you know the story. Esau was not chosen. Romans 9 says that before they were born, before they had done either any good or bad, God, so God's purpose in election, his choice, he's going to stand. The younger will be stronger. The older will serve the younger. And that's just the way it is. You know, sometimes people don't like because God is God, God, the God that is. And people want to make him into a God of their own choosing, a God in their own image, a God in their own likeness. And very often they try and serve both the God who is and the God who they want him to be. And God does not participate in that sort of thing. He gives his glory to nothing outside of himself. He will not share his glory with any anyone or anything. He's very protective, and so he will not participate in some people's religion, religiosity, I should say, having, yes, 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 I believe in the God of the Bible, but then, you know, I've made my own God, so therefore I'll have both. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. And so you can read the story of, Je of uh, Isaac and how the favoritism uh, uh, produced this tremendous upheaval in this couple's lives. And I suspect their marriage wasn't all that great because there wasn't trust. And Rebecca had her way. Isaac had his way. He, he loved game, wild game. And he was a peaceful man. Uh, he kind of, uh, there's, Isaac is an interesting fellow. There's, there's not a lot written about him. He was conciliatory. He, he didn't have any great big ups and downs. Um, and Jacob was very much like him. If you read about Jacob uh, in verse 27 of chapter 25, he was a peaceful man living in tents. So he kind of hung around the house. He was a good cook. Esau was a man's man. He was hairy and big, I suspect. And he could kill the game and he could make some stew. And so Isaac uh, went toward Esau. Very often we can do that with our kids. The one that's most like us, we don't like. We like the other one. We better be careful with this favoritism stuff. And so Jacob um, is a man with the plan. Jacob is crafty. He uh, thinks a lot. He has a good mind. He thinks a lot. He's an entrepreneur before there was ever such a thing as an entrepreneur. And so in 31, um, Esau is famished. He comes in and he says, Jacob's cooking. He says, hey, give me a big old gulp of that stuff, that, that red stuff. Uh, it was uh, lentil. It was lentil stew. And he says, I'm dying. What does it matter to me anyway? I just need something. And so Jacob, the entrepreneur, said, okay, well, um, sell me your birthright. And Esau says, well, it doesn't mean anything to me. What's it good to me? I'm going to die anyway. And so he does. Jacob didn't steal the birthright. He sold it fair and square. And then, of course, Jacob gave him. Now, Jacob will be Joseph's dad. And he gave him the lentil stew and some bread. And Esau just tootled on. The Bible says in 34, Esau despised his birthright. He didn't have, he didn't treat it as the special uh, privilege that it was. 
we are going to close down shop right here because we're getting ready to get into a big story. This is Joseph's dad that we are going to be talking about and we're almost, almost to the point of the deception by Rebecca and Jacob in the stealing, if you might want to say that, uh, of the blessing because dad was not doing what he was supposed to have done. And so we need to stop right here and we'll pick up next time right here.